The Word of God that forms the basis of our meditation is really uh, the reading from uh, chapter 14 and much more. But I'm just going to focus on verse 1. Accept him whose faith is weak without passing judgment on disputable matters. That's our text. Would you pray with me? Father in heaven, it is our purpose as we gather to get together today to listen to your word, to pray and to praise you together as your people and to receive the wonderful forgiveness that you give to us in Christ's body and blood. Bless us, Father, with ears that hear, a mind that understands, and, and the ability to apply what you teach us. In Jesus' name, amen. I actually thought of putting the opening slide as a kind of a disclaimer. Warning, this sermon will probably offend some of you. The goal isn't to hurt feelings, but when we get into it, I think if if you go with me at least, you'll, you'll understand. I can see where that could apply. I pray if it happens to you, um... You would allow God to teach you about how to work it through. Feel like a, a Mr. Rogers this morning, so I want us to learn a new word. Five syllables. Actually, one of my favorite thoughts since I became a, a pastor is this particular word. This is a plural, but I like pronouncing the plural over the singular because it has like a little dance to it. Five syllables. Adiaphora. Okay, would you say it with me? Adiaphora. Or faster, adiaphora. Isn't that kind of fun to say? Okay, what does adiaphora mean? Adiaphora is a word that describes acts or matters which are neither commanded nor forbidden by the Word of God. Interesting topic because. Sometimes we think the Bible commands way more than it actually does, or forbids for that matter. The longer you've been down the road sometimes as Christians, we have a tendency to think that, oh, well, this has got to be this way. This is the way to do it. And yet, God's word is silent on it. In Romans chapter 14, Paul is addressing an issue or two of audiophora. He's dealing with practices and traditions of the Old Testament and how they're carried out, if at all, in the New Testament. The issue is that Jewish Christians, those who were of the Old Covenant, looking forward to the Messiah, those who worshipped regularly and followed all the feasts, they were struggling with whether or not Old Testament regulations still applied. Now, on the other hand, through Paul's ministry, there was this large influx of Gentile Christians, that would include us, who could not understand why Jewish Christians were so sensitive about certain issues. The two issues that he deals with specifically are the Sabbath and the dietary regulations. In the Old Testament, when you look especially at the Ten Commandments, the 
the section that sets apart the, the Sabbath day, remember the Sabbath day by keeping it holy, is a relatively short sentence. However, in the time between when Moses went down the, uh, Mount Sinai to give to the people, the people started adding stuff to it. A list of refinements, we might say, over the years, over the centuries. And those refinements became entrenched in the Jewish way of thinking. Now, it was the same thing for dietary regulations. Not only were foods like pork and rabbit, seafood without scales or fins prohibited, but also, in the Old Testament environment, meat was generally associated with the sacrificial system. You offer an animal sometimes for a, a guilt offering, a fellowship offering. Um, meals with meat continued, though, when you got into the Old Testament. Kind of took a little curve there. Because in the New Testament, with the influx of Gentile Christians, they also ate meat, but it was very much associated with the sacrificial system of the pagan gods from which they came. Not the God of Israel. We're just brewing for an issue here, aren't we? The question of the extent of which Old Testament rituals were to be practiced in the New Testament church was arguably settled by the council at Jerusalem. And we have this recorded in Acts chapter 15, specifically here about the dietary laws. It seemed good to the Holy Spirit and to us not to burden you with anything beyond the following requirements, speaking to the Gentile Christians. You are to abstain from food sacrificed to idols, from blood, from the meat of strangled animals, and from sexual immorality. You will do well to avoid these things. Well, from the disciples and the church leaders at that time, they thought this kind of settled the issue. But it was anything but settled, especially for many of the Jewish Christians. Now, today... Christians also make a list of things to be done, things to be avoided, our own little commandments maybe. Many have scruples of what is right and what is wrong. Emotions then often run high when these issues are at stake or challenged by other people. Take, for example, personal morality. The use of alcohol, marijuana, dancing, attending movies, the use of cosmetics and the proper dress are often viewed differently by different Christian denominations. Congregations can become engaged in a heated debate over the role of women in the church the use of individual cups for Holy Communion, the order of service, hymn selection, musical instruments that are played in the worship service, 
even the structure of the church building itself. When we consider issues that are affecting uh, our society, there's a divergence of opinion, maybe for some of us, that is even more clear. Subjects such as religion and politics, well, we're not supposed to talk about those things. Participation in war, even capital punishment. Side note. I've always thought it kind of interesting when you get opponents, Christians, opposing this issue of capital punishment because they can each quote Scripture. Eye for an eye and a tooth for tooth. That speaks of what? Capital punishment. Love does no harm speaks against capital punishment. And yet Christians will get there and they'll fight over it on television and we're making fools of ourselves to the non-believing community. Back to the sermon. Uh, tensions uh, build between sides of questions, of right and wrong, of what is necessary for a Christian to do or to believe. Now, Paul addresses this in the beginning of Romans chapter 14, verse 1. Accept him whose faith is weak. Now, who is that person whose faith is weak? Who's Paul talking about? In the context of Romans chapter 14, he's talking about the Christian who has strict requirements regarding the days of the week or specifically food. These are a matter of Christian obligation. And when that happens, when you're so opinionated about that, Paul actually calls your faith weak. Now, the person who does not have or consider those kind of regulations as necessary, his Christian life is considered strong. Now, note what Paul goes on to say, because... I think this is important. Without passing judgment on disputable matters. Now in verse 1, we're specifically talking about except him whose faith is weak. People that are so legalistic, so to the letter, that they can't see any other way of doing it. And they get upset or frustrated by those who don't pay attention, those who don't agree. But more importantly than the weak of faith being described as those of legalistic status, I think what's clearer is those who don't pass judgment on disputable matters. Because you can have strong faith, as Paul talks about it, and still pass judgment on disputable matters, especially if you like to bug people. Especially if you know it gets under their craw when it comes to certain things. And that is not acceptable. Each is to respect the conscience of the other. No one is to put themselves in a position of judging another person on matters of adiaphora. Note, who are you to judge somebody else's servant? It's 
his own master. To his own master he stands or falls. Think about the people in the church here. Are you the master of anybody? I don't know. I was just asking that. If you all close your eyes, maybe somebody will raise their hand. We're not the master of anybody, are we? And yet we give ourselves permission to what? Call out in judgment other Christians on issues that don't matter. The Bible doesn't say do this or do that or don't do this or don't do that. And yet we turn it into something like that. Verse 10, you then, why do you judge your brother? Or why do you look down on your brother? Well, we all know the answer to that. We're sinful people. We're corrupt. You go back to the Garden of Eden. What was a sin that tempted Adam and Eve to eat the fruit? Satan says, God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be open and you'll be just like God, knowing good and evil. Do you find yourself operating with people that way? Where certain behaviors just rub you wrong. If you're really a Christian, you wouldn't do that kind of stuff. Has anyone said that to you or have you said that to others? In verse 13, which isn't the text, Therefore, let us stop passing judgment on one another. Instead, make up your mind not to put any stumbling block or obstacle in your brother's way. So imagine, you have to do it this way. Why? Because it's right to me. I can't come up with a Bible verse. I might try. I might take something out of context and say, see? And yet, there are many things that the Scripture does not speak about to any great length. Each Christian is to remember ultimately, that he's responsible to God. And that's why we study Scripture. That's why we try to learn. We want to know what the will of God is better than we do today so that we're able to apply it to the issues that arise, recognizing that God has not given clear and specific answers to all questions we all stand before the judgment seat of god god is the one who judges both the weak and the strong are accountable only to him now from this flows our responsibility to other brothers and sisters in christ as we deal with many of the issues and practices about which Christians today may differ, issues about which God's word does not give specific indications of his will or adiaphora. Adiaphora. Isn't that a fun word to say? Adiaphora. Things which are neither commanded nor forbidden by the word of God. We are called to be accepted and open, sensitive to another person's thought process, even though we may not agree with it. If there isn't a specific 
scripture that says thou shalt not or thou shalt, it is considered a matter of adiaphora. God alone is the judge of all. And he does so by his law. But the cool thing about it is that same God that judges both the weak and the strong in faith also is our Savior. For this very reason, Christ died and returned to life so that he might be the Lord of both the living, the dead and the living. This is not a matter of adiaphora. This is a spiritual truth, uh, arguably the most important truth, that God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever would believe in him would not perish but have everlasting life. And that basis, that foundation, is the same foundation for a good conscience. Paul is addressing both our salvation and how that salvation impacts how we think and how we process. Both the weak and the strong stand acceptable before God, not because of their behavior or lack thereof, but solely based on understanding the law that condemns in the gospel that forgives. We live in that dynamic. God is the author of both. God is the judge and savior of all people. It's not our job. It's God's job. Clearly no one is justified before God by the law because the righteous will live by faith. Makes us circle back. Am I one with strong faith? Or am I one, this is the disclaimer part, <laughs> of weak faith? Boy, if you grew up in a legalistic home or you grow up thinking that this is how it's got to be and you enter especially this church, you're going to run into some issues here because we don't necessarily operate like some of the more traditional, liturgical um, churches that are out there. And you come here and we go, hey, how come we're not singing out of hymnals? How come we're singing off the screens? It's like going to a movie at Bethlehem. I, I shouldn't expect you to laugh. It's, it's hard. This is difficult. Jesus died and rose for you. That's the important message that we take out of all this therefore no there is now no condemnation for those who are in christ we stand free and acceptable in the sight of god whether we're considered weak or strong it's then to serve god that's the whole thrust of our life in word and deed, to be faithful to God. And in the process, we are then faithful to each other. For none of us lives to himself alone. None of us dies to himself alone. If we live, we live to the Lord. If we die, we die to the Lord. So whether we live or die, we belong to the Lord. 
We do this on the one hand by recognizing that our first responsibility as a congregation and as Christians is single-mindedness when it comes to our desire to do what pleases God. The differences between us and our brothers and sisters over church practices and customs and other matters diminish when we realize common forgiveness of sins that's given to each one of us by the Lord and our acceptance by grace into his presence. Because we're thinking about not the main thing. We're applying much more force to topics that aren't addressed in the Scripture than focusing on the ones that are. Accepting the fact that those kind of disputes that are completely unnecessary, that accepting the fact that we're from time to time guilty of it, We then welcome and encourage each other in the faith and life. And do not make it difficult on each other by comments or behaviors or who we choose to talk to or who we choose to sit next to or not. Those are the things that separate us, not unite us. Mature Christians recognize that our real responsibility is to live not for what is no longer important, but for what is important in the eyes of God. To live for him who died for our sins and rose again for our salvation. I'm not saying this is easy. You might have to hear it a couple of times before you're able to go, do I do that? And again, you may be considered a strong person, according to Paul, without regulations. But still, you're not supposed to speak against, look down on a brother or sister on disputable matters. Or as I like to say, Adiaphora. In Jesus' name, amen.